At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's federal season. Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast, It's Federal Season. I'm Jason Nash, VP of Marketing, along with our Director of Media, Brian Kelvington. Hey, Jason. We have a special podcast today, and joining us are two of the hottest stars on Outdoors Television today. Yeah, we're really excited to have Lee and Tiffany Lakoski join us from the Outdoor Channel show Crush uh, with Lee and Tiffany. Uh, Lee and Tiffany, glad you could make it today, and uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hey, great for, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so before we dive into kind of what makes your show so successful, you guys have got a great story of how you met, how you got started, and the, the journey that you've been on. Can you give us a brief history? Uh, just because not all of our listeners have, have heard the whole backstory of, of Lee and Tiffany. Well, how we met, I mean, we both grew up in the same town, and Tiffany hung out with one of my sisters. So, I, you know, we, I knew her probably most of, most of my life, but she's several years younger than me. So like, you know, you're in high school and stuff. You know, here's a, you know, they're just little kids at that time. You think, you know, <laughs> and then when we got to college age, we kind of overlapped in, in college and we started hanging out and, and doing stuff, you know, together at that time. I know it is funny because we really did like know each other from when I was very young. Actually, one of his sisters used to be, I used to be the Princess of Columbia Heights and one of his sisters was my chaperone. So I would overlap Lee here or there, but he 1000% ignored me for many, many, many years. And then we just happened to overlap a little bit in college when he was uh, tutoring there and I was just starting and kind of just started dating from there. And then I don't know how it actually came into like we were actually like really really serious, but it, it, I guess we just started <laughs> going on trips. You, and stuff I think together it was when we were just, out shed hunting every yeah, day, shed hunting, yeah. and uh, you weren't getting too bored of it right away. And and, and, and about two years of of one hundred percent hunting, and uh, you know not much else, not much else for dates other than going, hey, let's go and shed hunt. She was a flight attendant, so it was like, hey, you know, we can fly for free. Let's, you know, I heard there's some good deer down by the Republican River down in the bottom corner of Nebraska, let's fly into, into, uh, Denver and we'll rent a car and we'll go look all along the Cimarron, all that Eastern side. Okay. That'd be great. Let's go do it. And it's like, you know, after a couple of years, I say, Hey, this is probably the right girl for me. Cause you know, not too many people put up with 24, seven, 365, you know, deer on my brain, about 90, 99.9% of the time. So, so I think it, uh, started there and then you know when the tv show part i mean basically can i interrupt there i'm still laughing i'm like for the record i don't think we've still been on a date just like not too long ago i was like seriously can we go do something other than like i mean as much as i love the farms and everything but i'm like can we just like do something he's like well what would you want to do i'm like i guess i really don't know but something i'm like i don't know i mean anything that you're like hey tiff what would you actually like to do today 
but a, a movie, I mean, a show, <laughs> it, just like anything. But in yeah, all reality, most of the time, I'm still like, oh, let's just go shed hunter. Let's go, you know, drive around or something. You know, it's like we just we have like a paradise that we built down here, and it's just I absolutely love it. Yeah, and it, you know, and as far as the show, it just kind of fell under our laps. We never really even tried to. I mean, I worked at an archery shop all through high school and college and stuff and tiffany come up there and shoot and we got to know a lot of the different you know reps and stuff from you know all the different bow companies and stuff through that so through that we went to the ata show and stuff and then we met like michael waddell and don and candy kiske and the Drurys. and i mean we're all kind of around the same age you know so we all started hanging out and you know back in those days like you know waddell and jay gregory and some of them like even like michael was just a camera guy so we would all just hang out and stuff and, and then we worked the shows together yeah, for we worked many the shows for, years for real tree just like and, worked in people's booths yeah and just for fun you know and then uh we, you know we were always shooting good deer i mean i was always that deer in my brain you know 90 percent of my life and you know just david blanton was like hey you know you ever think about filming stuff and we're like well not really but i mean we could certainly try so tiffany and i just we bought a little camera and went out and man that first year we even started filming anything i mean we had one of the best years of our lives i shot like a, a 196 and a 170 and a 160 something and that, you know believe it or not they were all pretty much in focus and not not bad and, and tiffany and she had just started hunting just a couple of years before that so she shot well, i don't know like a once 150s and 60s and she shot one in wisconsin and minnesota and iowa and you know it was easy to draw back then and iowa heck it was you know they're just leftover tags you just go buy them over the counter back back in those days so we had all the you know great spots that <clears throat> you know we went and looked at all the time and said with their flight benefits when she was, she was a flight attendant we just fly everywhere and spend most of the year you know summers and stuff looking at deer and everything and um we started just doing videos and stuff with with monster bucks and you know and really long story short you know just Sentlock came to us and said hey you guys think about hosting a tv show Sentlock was one of the one of the you know, the products that we wore at that time and and i would write articles i used to write some for uh, like north american whitetail and bow hunter and archery world and some of the different ones and um you know from right from there from you know just those are just products that we used and and things that in the photos and and that stuff and they just came to say hey you think about hosting a show and we're just like well i don't know i never really hadn't really thought about it but i guess the timing is right. We had just moved down to Iowa. I was a chemical engineer up in Minnesota and said, I don't know. I'm just, I just quit up there and we moved down to Iowa. And I was like, I don't know what I'll do. I quit like on a, in a October 1st. And we're like, well, I'll think about what else I want to do around January 11th after the season is over. <laughs> and yeah. So you kind and of I was still working, mind, you know, so he was like <laughs> not too concerned about it. Yeah. And Tiffany was working still. And, you know, it was like, well, we'll just move down there. We were just building a, you know, we had built a hunting cabin stuff we always lived lived there and i figured you know after the season i'd go and look at uh, monsanto i had a cousin that was um, a chemical engineer there and of course there's cargill and stuff by albia so i'll just start looking after that and you know and that was a, we can be moved down here and like on like i said i got october 1st and uh tiffany had a flight like october 5th get like a four-day trip or something to japan so you know i was like well i'll just go over and help don kiski they were harvesting corn so i was over there helping them and Aubrey Gale from Sentinel called and said, Dave, do you want to 
you'd be interested in doing a, a show for us. I said, well, the timing is right. I guess if there's any time to try it, you know, now would be a good time. So, and that's how it happened. We never really looked for it. it just kind of fell into our laps. We just got super lucky and it just kind of hit that, you know, that whitetail craze time that was coming up. And, uh, you know, there wasn't so many shows on the outdoor channel yet. And, you know, it was still fairly inexpensive for sponsors and airtime and all that back then, you know, it's come a long way since then, but you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that I never, we ever planned on doing it. Just like I said, it just fell in our laps. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. You know what? And, um, you know, you don't become the most popular show on outdoors television just by luck. And I think you know that. And our data shows just in the last couple of months, you know, your show has the, been the top rated show the last two of the last three months. Um, on Outdoor Channel, and it continues to be top-watched month after month. Congratulations, by the yeah, way. We just sit in our hole here, and we just crank away and keep doing stuff. We don't really pay all that much attention to it. I mean, of course, you know, you, awesome you go and get all those, all the data and stuff, but I rarely ask for it. We just, um, you know, just keep going, doing but, what we do, and it seemed to have worked. I mean, heck, we're going on, you know, I think it's like our 17th year or something like that. It just seemed like we just started and, you know, it's like, how did we get out, you know, near 20 years into it already? You know, it's been, it's been, it's just been fun, you know, and it's, we, I love it as much today as it did the day we started. So. So what do you think the secret to your success is? Is there a secret that you have developed or is it just the chemistry that you and Tiff, you and Tiff have on camera that seems to resonate with the audiences? Yes. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of all of that, to be honest. You know, it's like, I think we're, first of all, we're, I mean, obviously we have something really cool here that most people don't ever have, but in all reality, we're just like everybody else. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like our kids are disasters. We're disasters. It's like, you know, right now I've got five loads of laundry I probably should be doing. And, you know, the kids are running around all over. It's like, we're just really just like everybody else is, you know, so we just, ourselves and that's just what i think people appreciate and i think we're honest you know it's like we never you know you're never gonna hear from us oh it was such a hard hunt it's like well it might have been a hard hunt but let's be honest there's somebody who's getting up at four in the morning and going to run a jackhammer all day long it's like you know what we're very lucky even on our hardest of hard hunts it's like we're still not doing some of the things that you know the regular american people are out there doing so you'll never ever hear that from us it's just like we just know we're just we just got darn lucky, but yeah, we do work our butts off, you know, day in and day out. But I think it is, it's just, we're very relatable, very, you know, in all reality. I mean, only thing we did is sell everything and moved out here. It's like anybody really could do that. You know, it's like, we used to read that yeah. a lot. It's like, well, you can move down to Iowa. Well, no, I can't, you know, it's Christmas next month. It's like, yeah, but we, we just chose to stay Christmases together. We didn't care if we had other family and stuff around. It's like, that's not for everybody, obviously, but that's what we did, you know? So it's like, you could do that. You know, it's like, if we have a story that you, you could actually do. Yeah. And like when we first started, um, you know, I just thought there, there's, I mean, I, there was no bigger fan than me of, of all the hunting shows. And I just knew what I wanted to see. And, you know, it seemed like a lot of the, the shows were, you know, so they'd have, you know, a, even a technical segment and, you know, different things like that. And for me, I just, I just liked, uh, I just wanted to show people just, kind of your, your entire life all the way through so it's not just hunting it's you know stuff behind the scenes and all all the other stuff too I, I remember even seeing like mark and terry drury in the airport like going to the ata show the first time like in street clothes and you're like oh my gosh yeah 
you never even I've never I'd never seen them in street clothes before. You know, I remember how neat that was for me to see. And I was just like, you know, part of our show is a lot of it should just be kind of behind the scenes, you know, just your normal lives because you see that you're just like everybody else, like Tiffany said. But you know, we're everything that we do is basically working towards deer. So you you know, you I always want to try to on every episode have you know a little bit of a backstory to deer and some of the work that goes into it and what we did to, you know, for that food plot or that particular deer or whatever, and then some family stuff, you know, just kidding around having fun, showing that, you know, no matter what you were doing, we're having fun. I mean, that's face it that's why we hunt because it's fun and then you know most importantly you just want to have great footage and we really you know have prided ourselves over the years to make sure our camera guys and our equipment and everything just to get the you know, most you know beautiful footage you know that that we can so i think if you when you put you know some humor some fun behind the scenes stuff you know with great footage and and great you know great animals and we try to you know always make good ethical shots and things i think you just put up that together that's what we kind of started with and it seems to have worked you know because there wasn't a lot of shows at the beginning that you know really showed too much of behind the scenes you know of you know other things that go on we're getting ready farming planting doing stuff like that um you know it was kind of basically right to business right in a tree stand or whatever so we kind of wanted to show a little bit of behind the scenes and things too so i mean you know that could have been it but that was just kind of what i like wanted to see when i was when we just started, I just thought, well, what would I like to see? And so we just, um, you know, we just kind of did it that way. And I remember that first time we did it at Sentinel, it was Mark Baird was doing the, you know, editing at that time. And a lot of the guys in the office, you know, the older guys there were just like, I hate it. I hate it. It moves too fast. Why is it? And we were, because like Mark and I were like, we don't want any scene for more than three seconds. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. And they're like, we hate it. But I think it was just that they weren't used to it. You know, they're used to kind of the old style, you know, where they said they'd have a, even if someone would have a cooking segment and, a, you know, how you clean your 870 and stuff like that. And then a little bit of hunting. And so maybe they were kind of used to that. But then like after the first year, it was like the highest rated show in the history of the outdoor channel after the first year. And then everybody kind of changed their tune. It's like, Hey, I guess that's kind of what people want to see too. Something different. So you know, people probably maybe not remember from that 17, 18 years ago, but, uh, um, you know, it was, it was very different at the time. And now I think, well, a lot of people, a lot of the shows have kind of went to that too, you know, a little bit more behind the scenes or sometimes what it takes, you know, put in what you put into a hunt, you know, it's what you get out of it. And so we kind of wanted to show that because it's not like, Hey, you know, we were born with a silver spoon in our mouth, made all this great property and, all we got to do is blow the dust off our bow on October 1st and go out and shoot a 200 inch deer. I mean, that is not the way it happened. I mean, my dad was a bricklayer and Tiffany's dad was a truck driver. We had nothing. Basically just moved down here. Um, we just work our butts off, work real hard every day, you know, start with a small farm and grew it and grew it and grew it. And, you know, eventually been able to buy other ones and just by taking loans out. And even on that, you're just kind of like taking a risk. Hey, and what could happen to the land market, anything else? You know, it's all risk, just like any business that you want to start of your own. But it all worked out good that, you know, land prices, especially hunting land prices, went up. So our investments were, were good rather than having in my 401k and stuff at another job. And, of course, we used the land and stuff for our shows. And, uh, you know, but it's 24-7. I mean, it's every single day. I mean, that we're out doing things and the work people went, if they understood the work that goes into, you know, behind every deer that you shoot, you know, they would, they would, they'd understand more why you're successful. It's mm -hmm. just, just like anything. It's how much work you put in at the front end. 
Yeah, you guys, I mean, it, having a great story and an authenticity about you has really been a, a great key. And you talk about the work behind the scenes. Can you talk to us a little bit about managing whitetails? I mean, it's, it's crazy to hear you say that, you know, Iowa used to be over the counter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's incredible. But, you know, you guys put a lot of time and energy, as you mentioned, into managing your whitetail population. Is there something there that people can learn from? And I know you, you do some teaching through the TV show. Uh, what, what can be duplicated from that that's worked well for you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, and just going back to Iowa, never Iowa was never over the counter. It was always a draw. But when we first started, there were you know, if they let out six thousand tags, five thousand would even be drawn for it. There'd be a thousand that were just leftovers. So, okay. like we never even thought about putting in for the draw. You just say, well, there's four, five hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred left over. We'll just go buy on that, you know, before we lived here. And then when we lived here, it didn't matter. But, um, like I, you know. The thing is, like, every single day we're doing something for whitetails down here. Like, today I was just shed hunting. You know, I have a buddy down and we're doing that. And even though that's, you think that that's fun and it is, but you still learn something from it. You know, different deer, you know, where you'd seen them from photos all year to where they're, you know, at least wherever you find their horns, you know that they were at least there once. And normally it's, you know, especially worked out perfect this year that was so cold, you know, right during that time when they were, they were dropping. So you really kind of got to see where they were bedding and, and things you just learn so much about them but right now when you know we spent you know all of uh january and february going through equipment and getting you know all the planting and tractors and oil changes and all that kind of stuff and you know working on okay what deer do we want to target for next year which ones do i think you know that it that changes a lot some deer that you think are going to really blow up don't and some that you don't think are going to do much really do and so you start thinking about well, what farms have the most potential. So how, you know, okay, let's take those farms that have might have something that's really good this year and let's really strategically plan out food plots where we want them house and make sure you have something for early season, mid, late. You know, so the entire year you can be hunting them every single day, you know. And we try to do that at most of our farms. I pay a little bit more attention to the ones that, you know, if there's a real big one someplace. But, you know, it's just, it never stops. I mean, the, the work that you go into it is... You know, you know, and you wouldn't need to spend that much time if you just had, you know, one farm. But we've got, you know, several farms around. I got some buddies of mine that we, you know, partnered up with and stuff. So we got, you know, ten different, twelve different farms. So it's, you know, hundred and three different food plots, and then plus the regular farming, as well. So it's a big undertaking, you know, of getting all that done. But if you just had one farm, so boy, you could really micromanage that to, to make sure it's perfect, you know, every year. And that's, you know, on our show, we try to show some of those those tips and even planting and how to get the most successful clover fields or bean fields, you know, what kind of chemicals you want to use and what kind of planting practices to make sure you kind of keep it weed free right from the beginning. And, and, you know, that you're not going to be struggling with it later. You know, there's just so much that goes into it. Yeah. That's, that's, there's like you said, not everybody realizes that. And, you know, being from Minnesota, we're up here in Minnesota, we're native Mm -hmm. Minnesotans. You you don't get a lot of opportunity to manage you know, the buck herd, especially on public land. So you had a right. great quote that, you know, to get a great buck, you have to pass on a really good buck. Right. Um, right. You know, having that opportunity to manage a herd like that, um, you know, what's been the big difference for you coming from Minnesota and, and, you know, and then now <clears throat> having your own area to manage. That was definitely just exactly what you said. When we came down at our first farm, it was like, you know, you thought, okay, I'm just going to shoot, you know, good deer. We're going to pass on, on, 
you know, younger ones. But what you ended up doing was you know, if you had a really good genetic, like three-year-old that was you know, maybe 150 or 160, um, we were shooting it. Yeah, you know, it's 160 inch deer. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's big deer and it is. But we were passing, you know, eight points that were like five years old because they were poor genetics, you know. And about the third or fourth year, you're like, um, yeah, that's the worst management strategy ever. You know, we're shooting every good young deer we have and leaving pretty soon by the a couple of years after that, it was, we had just an old, you know, junk eight point running there on every ridge. You're like, well, that was terrible, you know? So you learned right away from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the experience teaches you a lot, right? And right. And even, yeah, now even like neighbors will shoot, like you get a three-year-old and they're, they're the three-year-olds are about the dumbest deer, you know, because they kind of want to be breeders and they can be. Um, so they're really aggressive. You know, you, you rattle and grunt those, the ones that come running in. So that's the hard thing when you have like a really good three-year-old that could be you know, maybe even a close to 170, you know, 60s for sure. That, you know, people that don't really know deer by looking at them, you know, looking at them quick too. I mean, a lot of times, you know, in the rut, they come chasing the door, running through, you see this giant, rack on it and they're shooting you know there's you, know, you just don't have they don't they just see rack but then a lot of times they get them on the ground like, yeah i mean it looked like a you know a 200 inch deer when it was on a you know 130 inch body on the thing for a young deer so a lot of them a lot of our good ones that three-year-old get shot especially when they're good ones because they're dumb but if we can get them past three by four they get a little smarter and by five they're pretty much locked in you know, to a, to a specific spot where, you know, like on one of our farms, they don't leave it very often. So that's just, that's what probably the biggest learning curve was just learning ages of those deer. And you don't blame anybody else because I was there and say, look at our walls. There's a bunch of those, those first years where those three-year-olds like I was talking about, they were one sixties and you were just thrilled to have a one sixty, but then start looking at it. Those were the deer that had that potential to go to the one eighties and nineties and, and, and beyond. And the ones that you were passing were ones that never had a chance, you know, to even get to 160s, really. So you really kind of learn, you know, okay, and it used to be you think, you know, a mature deer is four years old, and they went to five, and now I really don't shoot anything until six. You know, and just the older you see, the older you can get those deer, you know, the the bigger they're going to get. They certainly don't top out at six, seven, eight, or even nine. You know, they're always getting bigger um, in 90% of the cases. So. But, you know, with the HD and everything else, you really got to weigh out your odds. But we let everything get to at least five. And, but we'd like to get them to six now. But, you know, that's the that was the biggest the biggest learning curve, I think, was, you know, just knowing age on the hoof and judging them right right away. And that's, you know, that's the hardest thing for people. And, of course, everybody wants to shoot a good deer. So you have to shoot some of those. You know, you have to shoot some of those three-year-old 160s and stuff. And then... You start seeing other deer. You go to the, you know, the Iowa Deer Classic was just last weekend. You see a wall of two hundreds and start thinking, man, what what these deer can do. And then you start looking at your deer on your wall, and you're like, man, see what that thing could have been in another year or two. Hmm. And then you know, that's what gets you there. You know, Tiffany's cousin, remember him down here several years ago, and he's like, man, every big deer that we see, you say he's not old enough. And you know, it kind of starts seeming to me like they're like, hey, you're just not letting us shoot any big ones. And I was like, no, Dave, I'm telling you, I want you to shoot a big one. That's why I'm telling you, because these deer aren't as big as you think because they're young and they just have small bodies and they, they look good, but they're not 
going to be what you what you came here, what you waited, you know, four years to draw for. And so he shot one of those. And then he could, he could see the look on his face when he came to get it. And it was like 160-something-inch deer. And I was like, hey, Dave, you should be thrilled about it. That's the biggest deer you ever shot. Said, yeah, but that day Tiffany had shot a, an eight-point that was like six years old. It was just giant. And we had him hanging up in the cooler, too. And you brought him in there. The thing looked like a puppy dog compared to it. And then he could really <laughs> see. He's like, oh, yeah, now I see. I can, and I can, you can, if I asked him today, you know, you know, what's the biggest mistake you ever think you made? He would say that immediately because you could just see it on his face and how disappointed he was in himself for shooting that deer. But he thought it was a giant and they looked like that. And said, it's, it's, everybody does that, Dave. I said, I, heck, I've shot lots of them. And Tiffany shot them, you know, and it, it took a while for us to learn that, you know, that, hey, you let those ones go. It might be a little sacrifice for a couple of years, but really, face it you know two you know three it's two years away and that deer could be a 200 so you know you just try to look for if we just kind of strictly shoot deer off of age you know don't worry about what the racks are you know if they're five or older those are the ones we're targeting mm-hmm. and uh, you know so that was i think that's the hardest thing for people is just judging age and stuff right off the bat and everybody wants to shoot one so that's the hard thing about you know neighbors and stuff and you know every i hear it everywhere you go every you know seminar you do everything well if i yeah i gotta shoot him if i don't shoot him my neighbor will so well look you're the neighbor you're talking about you know i mean you (laughs) you know if you let 10 of them go and one makes it well hey if you got one to shoot to hunt next year is better than zero right so you know but it's tough i mean i understand it you know it's easy for me to say because i live in iowa there's not that many people we have lots of land it's not like you got you know we got i mean not that we don't have plenty of people sitting on our fence lines but not like you know, in some other states that have a lot more hunters, but, uh, so we're super lucky that way, but you can do it anyway. I mean, I go fishing up to Lake of the Woods a lot and you go up by, you know, you get there by Baudette and stuff and you see where agriculture starts again. You're like, man, I'll bet you that I could do the same thing up here as I could down here in Iowa. And in my mind, I think I can. And I, you know, I'd like, I'd love to try it someday, you know, it's to show that it's not, you can do it wherever. Um, you know, so I, you keep thinking about that. It's like maybe the next place I buy, maybe I would try some in Minnesota and try it. Well, Hey Lee, I was going to kind of transition to a little bit about, um, you know, our relationship, obviously you're sponsored by federal and Mm -hmm. we're super excited about that relationship. And, um, and there's lots of ways to get animals, you know, put either in the freezer or on the wall and, and, um, whether it's archery slug. But we introduced um, a muzzleloader innovation last year called Firestick, and you were there at Shot Show to help us launch mm-hmm. it. Um, that was obviously in 2019, but the product was out really for in use this past fall. Um, yeah, so what, I got to shoot my first deer with it this yeah. year. So, what are your thoughts on the system and the experiences you had that you can share without giving away too many results? Because obviously, you want your viewers to to tune in to watch those results. Oh my God. I could even, I could even add it on that one. It was so easy. It's like, I absolutely loved using the fire stick. It's like, it just took a lot of the guesswork out of shooting a muzzle loader for me. I mean, I mean, I've gotten, obviously I've used them for a while now, so I've got not the fire sticks, but muzzle loaders. So I've gotten pretty used to it, but it's just, like I said, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. You know, there's no longer somebody comes back and they're like, I missed it. You're like, well, did you load it right? Did you, I mean, it just makes it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Yeah. And for me, you know, I'm just very anal about everything. I mean, just being an engineer is kind of, you know, the way my brain works is just, 
you know, combined with, uh, like our SIG scopes that have the BDX system on there, you know, that you want it to be just perfectly accurate. You know, you kind of, you kind of expect it to almost be like a rifle nowadays, you know, the, the, with the way the technology is gone and just knowing that it's going to be the exact amount of powder in it every time that you're not going to have to weigh it out. And then when you're pouring in, you know, the powder, how much of it, you know, especially if it's a follow-up shot and something and you're shaking how much of it goes in your barrel compared to outside of it. You know, we've done that before, you know, reloading them and windy day and have to, and it's, you know, powder's blowing out as they're going in there. You don't know how much exactly you get in there. Never happened and, to us. Yeah. And so then, you know, then you're, you don't know exactly where your bullet is sitting. Like you push on and with 50 pounds of pressure or five pounds of pressure, you know, and it, it, there's just so many different variables. And, and with that, with the fire stick, you know, that takes all that away, and especially, you know, rain, condensation, snow, all that stuff. I mean, we did the test, you know, you can drop those things in water, dump the gun underwater, and still still shoots, you know, perfectly. But it's just real nice to have, you know, for us having the, um, the you know, the muzzle loaders um, and not have to, you know, because I used to weigh it all out and, and everything, all the powder to make sure they were all the same, just knowing that it's, it's all, every shot's going to be. Well, and it's like I said, it's so much easier because you just talk about weighing everything out. We have a little neighbor that used to live by us that when we moved and he's an old guy. And it's so funny because he's like, I brought over all my reloads for you to reload. I'm like, okay, Jim, like, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, like, um, you know, you can go down to the store and just do that yourself. Right. But whatever, he's 80 some years old. So we just do it for him. But I was like, this is a pain in the butt. I was like, oh, my gosh. He's like, well, my birthday's coming up. Maybe I should get one of those fire things, you know, <laughs> I guess he's like 85. And I'm like, yeah, I think you probably should because it'll make it easier on us. So, right. For an, like I said, for an accuracy standpoint, you know, we have the, uh, you know, the, the traditions and like there's a wall in there. So when you push that bullet down, it goes to the same spot every time. And you put the fire stick in there. It's a pre-measured. He's going to have your, it's just going to be so much more repeatable. And like when we shoot it, we set it at hundred, you know, and then you have your BDX system. You shoot it at 200 and 300. And we've actually, I mean, I like got 400. And you can't believe how accurate you like, I can't believe that we're hitting that, you know, that steel target down at, at 400 yards without, you know, just setting it in one time. You take three shots to get it in, get it in at a hundred and bang, bang. It's just, it's amazing. The accuracy that, that they have with that and then of course the safety aspect too because you always wonder about that you know people double loading them because then like now it's so easy if you don't if you don't shoot one you just pull the fire stick out but in the old days you know it's just like well you got this powder in there and if you're gonna you don't want to shoot it after every time that you hunt so sometimes you know you pull the breech plug out and try to dump the powder out and then all the powder gets stuck in the you know in the in the threads and then you clean it all out and it was like such a pain doing that and you know now and so a lot of times we always leave them you know just leave them loaded but then you know i always put one of those rubber uh uh, like a balloons over the top of the of the of the barrel just so i say okay when that's on there you know what's loaded but you you know so you try to do some things just so people you know if they don't realize you double load it you know dump the powder back on top of the bullet put another bullet in there and you get you know it could be a dangerous situation so at least with that fire stick you just crack it up you pull it out course you see if there's a bullet in there or not just by cracking it open and looking in there and you can push the bullet out or at least at least you know you know hey if it's, if i can see right through it totally empty and obviously you can see the fire stick when you open it up so it just makes it a lot safer but you know talking about what more could you ask for i guess i mean you get 
it's safe, safest muzzleloader ever, ever made and the most accurate. So, well, we thank you for that endorsement. I mean, uh, because your experiences are authentic and true. And, and I think that, that once, um, your viewers, your audiences see that, um, system in place, they'll come to put all those words into visuals as well. And, and, um, we'll get, right. we'll convert more people into using this system. For sure. I mean, like Tiffany was talking, that's Jim, our, our neighbor, he was the mayor of our old town and he's getting up there and eight in his eighties now. So he'd always have me, Hey, can you just load those loads for me just to make sure that you got it right? You know, it just wasn't, you know, totally confident that he was going to be measuring the right amount. And so I sort of always measure it out for him, the powder and, and put them in little tubes for him and, and then we can have all the reloads for him. So now when, you know, this is to just use ours, you know, just, I was going to do is, you know, put a bullet down in there and just pop the fire stick in. And at the end of the day, just pop it out, you know, take it out, stick it in the pouch and you go out hunting again, just pop another one in. So it's something that he can do very easy and feels a lot more confident in him. So I think there's a lot of people that, you know, they obviously to people that shoot muzzleloaders all the time, it's not that complicated, you know, to measure out the, the powder and dump it in and put the bullet in the breech plug. But for someone who's not really familiar with it and not, maybe not used to being around guns and stuff, it can maybe be a little bit intimidating to them. Um, you know, maybe not feel hundred percent confident they're doing it right and, and things because I always kind of take it for granted myself. But then even some of my buddies from high school that I know have hunted up with them my entire life, you know, I'll get, get them a muzzleloader because they always, you can take advantage of the muzzleloader seasons and they're always calling me. Okay. Now what exactly do I want a hundred grains or 120 or what's the difference or what should I be using for my son? And just different things like that, you know, that people aren't a hundred percent confident with it like they would be with the rifle it's pretty easy you stick a bullet in there but now with the fire stick it's, it's just that easy and it does come in two different you know grains you can get 100 grain or 120 so if you want a little bit lighter load for you know if you don't need it or for a, a kid or something they don't want such a want to kick so hard that you know it just brings the confidence to to people if they think it might be a little bit complicated they don't want to mess with it for but they still want to take advantage of those muzzleloader seasons that's the that's the the system for you yeah well and you guys hunt more than just deer obviously i saw some mm -hmm. rec recent posts of out doing some pheasant hunting and duck hunting you have a couple of retrievers but yeah yeah tell me a little bit about your um, upland and waterfall um experiences and and what you enjoy about those um those hunting adventures i mean for me it, it's watching the dogs work i mean hands down i always see these people who were like i shot a pheasant with an, my bow and i'm like why would you do that i want to see my dog get it up and i want to see him retreat it retrieve it and stuff it's like that's just not for me on that i just love watching those dogs work and of course lee grew up with it i didn't um you know when we first got tank and i just did a post out of yesterday because i was like sometimes we ride it's like when you're an 11 year old lab you don't have to run all the time anymore but because he was so funny because he he wanted to get the antler, but he's like, yeah, I just want to get back in the ranger, which, you know, five years ago, that would have never been him. But it's like, you know, he's getting up there. So I was like, yep, when you're you're this age, you can ride if you want to, you know. And, but it, I still stop and let him get the antler if I see one, you know. But it's just, like I said, hands down, just watching those dogs work is what I love about it. Yeah, I mean, most people can, you know, associate, you know, me or us with, with whitetails, and it is, but you know, growing up in Minnesota, I mean, I lived in Columbia Heights. Like I said, I could see the IDS tower from my, my, from my bedroom window. So I didn't, I didn't have any good places to hunt. We didn't have anybody that, no farmers or anyone that owned land in our family, nothing. So just like me and 
my buddy and like my our dads would take us you know out duck hunting because that was easier to find duck hunting places just go up to cambridge and around rice creek and all the places around minnesota it wasn't too hard to find ducks but to find you know deer was a little bit was a little bit tougher so but as soon as like, paul was one year older than me so when he turned 16 and got his driver's license we had our own cars to go around then we were out every night up around lionel lakes and scandia and and forest lake and <clears throat> every place you know looking at for deer and fields and talking to farmers and way back then it was easy to get bow hunting spots and even people that hunted they're like what do you want to try shooting with a bow yeah go ahead and then of course when we started uh <clears throat> killing a couple that kind of changed well maybe we'll reconsider that so that's when i kind of realized that, okay i gotta gotta work as hard as i can to get some of my own because you kind of see the writing on the wall that's gonna be a lot become a lot harder to to hunt places but and so we didn't have as many places to deer hunt so i i duck hunted and pheasant hunted you know as a kid more than i than, than we deer hunted and so i still have that you know they don't see it on the show as much but i still have that you know that love of uh of the waterfall and and upland birds you know i bet my grandparents is up in you know in the northern minnesota mckinley the little town of mckinley up there and we used to grouse hunt and rabbit hunt and, and everything so you know i probably still should have it I've still shot a shotgun by more times than a bow in my life. So I always tell the story. Do it a lot. We had to go to like an NRA, like it was outdoor thing channel thing, but it was like this big NRA celebrity shoot. And it was with Blake Shelton and everything. And, and there was this huge shoot off and Lee freaking won it. You know I mean? He like straight up won it. They were like, a bow hunter won this. I mean, there was like absolute uproar. And he's like, people don't realize how much I used to shoot. I used to shoot yeah, I used trap, to and- trap leagues, sporting clay leagues, and everything. Shotguns is more time than I've shot a bow in my life, likely. So people are a little surprised on that. It was funny, though. <laughs> he won this big Wayne LaPierre, like custom gun and everything. It was like, like I said, it was, it was kind of an uproar. They were like, how did he win that? I thought he could only shoot a bow. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, and, and speaking of shotguns, we, I know up here, we talked a little bit before we got on about how the weather's starting to warm up. Everybody here's got cabin fever and we are really excited for turkey season. So uh-huh. well, yeah. <laughs> you guys got plans for turkey and uh, is that coming oh, up yeah. for you? Yeah. I've, I've, like the most excited thing is, is Cameron is going to shoot his first turkey this year and he is oh, just jacked. I mean, he's like, you know who's got two thumbs and is going to shoot a turkey? This guy. <laughs> I, mean, this joke all the time. Yeah, I got to post no. that joke. It's funny. Yeah. It no, funny. I mean, I'm really looking forward to that one. And obviously, I always love turkey hunting. It's just always so much fun. So much more. It's so social. I mean, it's like deer hunting, obviously, is like social a little bit. But, you, I mean, you have to take showers and you have to stay clean. And you just, I don't know. It's just, tur- I mean, you can have like. 15 of you out turkey hunting all together. You know, I guarantee you when Cameron shoots his first turkey, there'll probably be 10 of us out there when he shoots it. You know, it's like we'll all be just high fiving and hooping and hollering. So it's like, I always love turkey hunting. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really exciting and it's it's perfect to introduce kids. I've taken my daughters out and it's just a, it's a blast. So do you, speaking of introducing um, kids to it, do you have a certain gauge or load that you'll use with them versus what you would shoot? Yeah, we're just going to use uh, the Give them a 10 gauge, just like they did to me the first time I ever done it. <laughs> Start them out right. That's honest to God, true story. I shot the first time, and I'm like, ah, this didn't work very well. I fell right back over. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So do not do that. <laughs> Lee, that's not a good first date trip right there. If you <laughs> that wasn't my fault. That's, we put that squarely on Simmons, right? 
Jeff Simmons, Jeff yeah. Simmons. Kyle had Simmons sporting goods. Like, oh, no, don't worry about a gun. I got one for her. Like, I don't think they realized I was 5'2 and 120 pounds. And like I said, even waiters, they're like, yeah, we got waiters. I'm like, little I know. I was like, nobody has extra waiters at a size six and a half. You know, so, uh, yeah, anyways. It w- but you know what? It ended up being a blast. I mean, I never hit a thing, but um, it was fun. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was a little hilarious. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we, were, we weren't planning on hunting, so we didn't bring our stuff. We were just there going to an appearance at Simmons Sporting Goods. And, and uh, hey, you want to go out? Duck hunting, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's what he had. Yeah, but now yeah. we got we got guns for her, waiters for her. Jeff loves his 10 gauge. Oh, he <laughs> right. does. Yeah, you know, so you know Jeff. Yeah. I and we were walking out of the water together and and it was so funny because I like I said, I have like size nine waders on in this muck walking. I'm like, there is no chance I am. Yeah, her feet would water. come right out of the things and fall over in the water. <laughs> but yeah, so but it was there's still some we still talk about today. I mean, some of this those are the funnest times you know but yeah i did you know we got a bunch of uh some of the 410 stuff last year because i was gonna i wanted to shoot one myself maybe with my 410 i got my little a little crack open 410 that i had like when i was a kid and i thought about shooting one but i but i didn't so this year i was thinking about you know cameron maybe shooting one with my 410 that i had when i was a kid but it's still too big for him to me back you know we couldn't hunt by ourselves or you know i didn't really hunt you know, until we were 12, till we had in Minnesota, until we had our hunter safety card. Mm-hmm. But in here in Iowa, you, they can be at any age, really, as long as they're with it. Yeah, they have a hunter <clears> apprentice <throat> program, which is awesome in Iowa. It's like you got to give them kudos because it's like you get those kids out there well before you lose them, you know, for lack of interest. You know, it's like 12. It's almost getting too old to just introduce a kid to hunting. So yeah, they can so be on nice video games and other things. So we just want to make sure we start him early. He just loves shooting, you know, his BB gun. Then you got to new savage 22 and um and the 410 but when i, you know, I was gonna, shot I was, too. yeah he's a really good shooter awesome so i was gonna just <clears throat> on my on my 410 I was, it's just too long for him still because i didn't have it until i was 12 and so i was gonna chop it off i was like nah, i don't want to do that so i just ordered a new stock for him and so i can cut the new one off and then when he's bigger than i'll put my original one on so that would be so it doesn't change you know my first it was my first shotgun that i ever got that my dad got for me so but then Savage actually has one, so maybe we'll just get him one of those. I don't know. Yeah, Savage makes that 410-22 combination. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, and it looked pretty slick. So like I said, maybe we'll just get him one of those. I don't know. Sweet. Yeah, so you, you all have obviously had a lot of opportunity to hunt more than just Iowa, and I, I'm sure Iowa's probably your favorite. But when you talk about destination hunts and unique opportunities, what stands out to, to you both as a really unique hunt and a place you'd want to go again uh kodiak island for me mountain goat hunting I, that was like probably mm. one of my favorite trips although that moose i smoked a couple of years ago that was pretty phenomenal too but you know you can't do a ton of those trips because it's like where do you put all those animals when you shoot them you know because they're just so amazing and huge and everything but just the experience of both those places was just something that i'll never forget and i just still bring back the best memories yeah, and I just, you know, any of those type of hunts like that, too. I think, you know, I kind of everything, but I, I'd say actually one of my favorites is mule deer, um, just because the chess game part of it, which I just love. But like Tiffany said, that um, I'd recommend anybody to go, like, on the a mountain goat hunt because they're, you know, they're not as expensive as sheep and stuff like that. You know, it's for sheep, <clears throat> I love hunting those because they're the hardest for me. Like, you know, if you're trying with, with archery, equipment it's like the hardest thing you can do 
And that's why I like it. I just, I like stuff is that the challenge and you know, the hardest thing you can do, but like mountain goats aren't near as expensive. You don't have to mortgage your house. They're just a cool issue one, but it, yeah, but it's the same kind of a hunt and it's just so beautiful there. Like in the mountains that when we were on, on Kodiak, I've been there a number of times and it just worked out so good for Tiffany when she was there. So just kind of prepping her for it. Cause like every time I've been to Kodiak, you know, you're there for 10 days, it'll rain eight of them, you know, it'd be miserable and you're intense and stuff and you're wet and you can't get dry. So I kind of prepping her for that. And then we go there in seven days of like, like whether you have today. I mean, it's like nice and cool at night, fifties and sixties during the day. Sunny. It never rained. It was sunny. I was just like, I'm like, this is that awesome. Is He's like, this is very unusual. To, like mountain hunting because they'll love it. And then the, the next time they go when it's miserable, they won't, <laughs> it won't seem so miserable <laughs> to them. At least they, you know, when you prep somebody for it and it just turned out the weather was, I'd never said, you know, we sat on that dock out there waiting for the float plane at Kodiak. And I was just like, I have never stood on this deck when it's not pouring rain. I mean, I've been here tons of times and it's never have I stood on this in nice weather. It's always been raining standing on this float plane dock. So she got super lucky on that or both of us did, but you know, at least she got to, you know, you kind of can think more about the hunt and the enjoyable part of that hunt rather than thinking how miserable it was because you were soaked every day. You know, it's funny that you say that and we're talking about hunting and stuff. And um, I just got our kids this book called um, In the Boonies and it's about this fly out fishing trip. And it's like, that's like another thing though. It's like, I absolutely love when we used to do those fly out fishing trips up to Canada where you're just, there's just something like, you know, the Kodiak and, and the moose hunting and stuff. It's like when you just get dropped off and then the, the float plane takes off and you're just there and you're like, this is so cool. Do you know how many people will never experience this? In their entire lives, I mean, just to be out there like that, you know, with nobody around and places that very few people have been is just something, something real cool, like regardless of whether you have any success or not. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. You mentioned uh, mountain goat hunting. That's listed as one of the most dangerous hunts, too. So I'm sure that the weather being good was a was a positive thing. Yeah. It is? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah just the terrain yeah. that they're in, there's a high chance of falling, especially if there's bad weather. Yeah. I mean, see, that's why I kind of really like <clears throat> on Kodiak because it's, they have like the high rocky peaks and stuff, but they come down into the, like the lower grassy stuff to, to eat. So you could just ambush them there. But, you know, we've, you know, I've been around other places like in Colorado and different places where it's just all rock. Yeah, that first and then, yeah, it, it can be went on, yeah. pretty treacherous. And you're just kind of thinking, you know, even the places where you want to shoot one, well, if you, you shoot him here and he falls down there, you aren't getting to him. So, you know, there's a lot goes into it and, and, and think about, it. but that's, what's really nice about Kodiak because it's, it has the rough stuff, but it's right. It's not, it has a lot of the green grassy stuff below it too, where they yeah, it was, I mean, feet, so like don't have to get in there. I mean, we were plenty high and up there, you know, where they had to get to them, but not like, well, I mean, I wouldn't say not very dangerous because of some of the stuff that Tiffany was on, we're like, oh, I hope she was, hope she's okay on this. <laughs> and she was great on it, but you know, I mean, so there always is that that risk but um yeah i mean but it's beautiful there i mean I, that's but i think like on kodiak probably isn't as risky as some of the other places yeah no it wasn't as bad as bc so circling back around to we just talked about the show what can viewers as we get close to ending up this conversation what can uh, viewers expect to see that's going to be new on this year's um series of content and uh, when do you expect that new content to be airing i think our the new airing start in like the first week of July and that kind of, and they were just getting know, ready to film a bunch of stuff for it. So I know it's coming up here. Yeah. But, um, 
for this year, the one I'm excited about is I shot my biggest deer ever this year. And so that's, that's one that I'm looking forward to see. They're just, you know, editing that, those things now. So you just, you know, kind of waiting to look at the, I'm just as excited to see the, you know, the rough cuts and stuff they send to me to, for approval and stuff first. And then, you know, we had some great elk hunts and mule deer hunts and, and, and then stuff of course, Cameron's yeah. first was, turkey will be on there. Yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of a bummer that, you know, with the COVID stuff was we had a couple, you know, some of my favorite mule deer hunts and some of my other stuff up in Canada where that was closed that we couldn't, that we couldn't, that we couldn't do. So hopefully this year, you know, that, uh, that border opens up again and we can get back to some of those hunts that we, man, we love doing up there so much too. Tiffany, you had some, I was, for most people that know your story, you're very open about it. You are a cancer survivor and you've got some good news you shared recently on social. We'd love to have you share with our listeners as well. Yep. Three years. I mean, just had another clean checkup and in all reality, they don't expect it ever to come back just the way we were treated. We treated it like super, super aggressively. We could have wanted a couple different options, but it's like, you know what? We got to do the one that has the best chance of kind of makes me curious. Like, cause that's right. That's the, that's the thing about like the mountain goat hunt. That was like one of the first big hunts after after I had beat cancer. And I just remember getting to the top of that mountain going, you know, and I made it, you know, that's really, that's cool. fantastic. Great news. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's like, like I said, we just treated it really aggressive. And so now I just, uh, I get treated every, uh, I, I get tested every six months. So that, and then actually it's just the weirdest thing because of the type of cancer I had in my blood. They just test my HCG, which is crazy because it's also the, pregnancy um hormone obviously but i tell you the one cool thing now that you're like touching on that it's like my doctor my oncologist was freaking phenomenal i mean he was just absolutely amazing and he his he's married to a local iowa woman whose family was like a big hunter he's like i don't know anything about hunting he's like i don't know that i could even shoot a shotgun it's like you can cure cancer. I'm pretty sure you can shoot a shotgun, you know? <laughs> and so he actually, he was going to turkey hunt with us last year. He's never hunted a day in his life. He's like, my brother-in-law is going to die if I shoot a turkey. Because nobody ever thought I would ever shoot anything. Yeah, so hopefully we can get him this year. Like last year with that COVID Yeah, with stuff, COVID, yeah, it, yeah, it, we couldn't get him down here, you know, with everything going on. And, of course, he's a doctor still up at the University of Iowa. But, uh, yeah, so this year he's going to come down here and turkey hunt with us, which is going to be so fun because it's like obviously taking somebody totally out of their element and and in ours you know and it's like obviously when i was treated we were at the best treatment possible and in his element so it was pretty awesome so it'll be really cool but yeah definitely it's like one of those things but it's like we're just talking about you know how much hunting has helped me through all of that it's just like the thing is it's like if you're a hunter or a fisherman or an outdoorsman you never have, even when it's the worst of the worst, obviously mine was cancer and, you know, everybody going through COVID and all the other stuff. It's like, but you still always are optimistic. You uh, they, they can't take that part away from you. You know, you always have something to look forward to. It's like they, they can't shut down the entire world and all that stuff. So it's like, even though Canada was shut down and stuff, we were still like, well, you know what? We can hunt in the backyard. We can go fishing here. We can go do this. It's like if you're an outdoorsman, yeah, yeah, you we'll always to look forward to. have something to look forward to. Absolutely. That's a fantastic news and a great message. I think we've got more and more new people joining us outside too, which is great for our sport and the future and habitat. So well, uh, especially this last year, it's like, I, I think it got more people back out there than they used to be. Yeah, for sure. Great story. And we'll, we'll get through it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get yeah, through it all. 
Well, no, we don't have a choice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Lee, Tiffany, thank you very much for joining us. It's it's a pleasure to talk with you. And, um, you know, we look forward to uh, hopefully everybody tuning in will, will tune into your show Sunday nights on the Outdoor Channel. And um, we appreciate having you on. Well, yeah, thanks. It was great talking with you guys, too. And just uh, we really appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thank you so much, you guys. We really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. We'll see us in the field this fall. You Heck bet. Yeah. After this break, we will expand further into turkey season with Shot Shell product line manager Dan Compton to talk about heavyweight TSS and many more. Meet the industry's widest variety of game-changing ammunition. However you shoot and whatever you hunt, fortune favors the prepared. And nothing prepares you better than Federal Premium. It's a gold standard advantage delivered directly from the experts in premium ammunition. Find your Federal Premium Advantage today. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk. I'm Jason Nash, along with Shot Shell Product Line Manager Dan Compton to talk all things turkey. Dan, spring turkey seasons are pretty much opened in all parts of the U.S., and it's a great cure for the cabin fever, especially these days. Before we talk product, what is it about turkey hunting that you enjoy from a personal perspective? You know, the, the best part about turkey hunting for me has always been, I, I turkey hunted a few times over the years, but then I finally went with somebody who knew what they were doing. And we sat down and we called and we got that response from really far away. And then 10 minutes later, he called again and we got the response and it was closer. And then 10 minutes later, it was closer. And it worked about 45 minutes. We never actually got the bird. But, you know, that was the first time where I was, I was hooked right there. That anticipation, that buildup, that's what you can't beat about turkey hunting. Yeah, well, I think we've all experienced that, that level of excitement. It's, it's really awesome. Um, let's talk about three categories of premium turkey loads, starting with our Grand Slam, the Flight Control Flex WAD system. Give us a quick overview of the load and some of the features and benefits. Yeah, so Grand Slam is our copper-plated load. Copper-plated lead shot's been used as a stable in turkey hunting since since shotguns have been, inv been invented and they started plating with copper shot. You add copper to a lead shot, it helps reduce some of the deformation. You know, there's a lot of pressure built up in a shell and you think like, hit the gas in a car and it sucks you back into the seat. That's what's happening inside that shotgun shell. So you're starting to flatten out the pellets on the back. And those are going to be your flyers in your pattern. Turkey hunters want tight, tight pattern. They want as many pellets as we can put in a tenon circle as possible. So add a little copper plating to it. Helps get, keep your shot round. Helps keep your pattern tighter. So we got really premium good copper plated shot. We use our flight control flex wad, which is our flight control design, a rear braking wad. Really tight, consistent patterns. And then when we, uh, we updated the wad a few years ago to the flex design, where now you can shoot through a ported choke tube, which is really important to a lot of turkey hunters. Um, there's a lot of aftermarket chokes that are ported. And it is specifically designed to work well through those, or if you're using a straight tube system as well. So copper plated shot, flight control flex wad. It is a buffered load as well. That buffered adds a little bit of cushion in there as well. You know, like just like with the driving example, it's going to be kind of like a shock absorber and helps the shot fly truer when it leaves instead of wanting to just fly all over the place. So good buffer copper plated load. We have it in 10 gauge all the way down to 20. It's our most robust lineup that we have out there. And we've chosen, we've got a great partnership with the Meat Eater on several product lines and, and the one turkey product that they chose to, to make their addition is third degree. That's what they use to fill their freezers is what we say. 
Um, it's a unique blend of shot sizes and shot material. Talk about that product and where that came from and where it fits in the lineup. Yeah, third degree is, is our blended load. So we, there's lead shot and there's t- tungsten shot in there as well. And that tungsten is now TSS shot. So 18 grams per density. And we'll talk about that a little more in a little bit. But in our thought process on that was, um, as you are choking so tight on, for a turkey hunter, as those birds get closer, you got to be really spot on. You got to be right on the head to get them. We, and so we thought, what if we can make a load that spread out a little quicker up front, but still gave you plenty of pellets and you could still take a bird down at that 40 to 50 yard range. And third degree was the answer. So we start with what we call flight stopper shot, which is our banded shot design that we first launched in the Black Cloud product. And if you've ever shot Prairie Storm for pheasants, it's the same shot that is in that as well. And because it's out around, it does scatter a little quicker. So you're your pattern from 10 to 15 yards does open up a little bit more. It's about a 25 to 30% increase on that close-up pattern. At the core of it is number five copper-plated lead, so our mainstay in the lineup turkey hunter has been using forever. And then we have number seven TSS tungsten shot, which is twice as dense as lead. So that flight stopper number six is going to open up, get them up close. You got a nice dense pattern in the middle of number five copper-plated lead, and the number seven is what's going to round out your pattern and give you that distance where you can shoot the turkey at 40 to 50 yards. And t- tungsten loads are very popular in Turkey, but they do have a bigger price tag to them. Where third degree comes in, it takes a little bit of that edge off the price. So you're still getting a real good premium performer, but you don't quite have to shell out as much at the store. So nice middle ground for, for people who want a little more forgiving pattern and, yep. and still a little bit of that tungsten. Now, TSS has, has been all the rage the last several years in, in turkey hunting and even before with people who hand loaded. What is it about that? pellet that's so devastating the main the the main feature is density it's a tungsten super shot is an 18 grams per cubic 18 grams per cubic centimeter density tungsten where lead is about 11 grams per cubic centimeter so if you're going to take one little cube of tungsten and one little cube of lead and weigh them one's going to be 18 grams one's going to be 11 anytime an object is heavier if you put those two at the same speed that one's going to have more energy so mass times velocity equals foot pounds energy the benefit of that is, so now you got this denser pellet. If you were to break them down going at the same speed, a number nine tungsten super shot has the same amount of energy as a number five copper plated lead. So now you can take a tungsten load. So let's say a number five copper plated lead load at an ounce and three quarters is going to have about 298 pellets in the payload. If you move that to a nine shot, now you got a pellet that hits just as hard going at the same speed and you're up in your payload to about 634. So you've doubled your pellets. That means you're putting more than, you could almost, it, it flies a little better than lead as well. You can put almost triple inside a 10 inch circle. So it really rounds out your pattern. Turkeys can be tough. And that's why people want to choke tight and put as many on them as possible. It's all about that pellet count and that extended energy. It's going to give you a little bit more range, but you're really putting a lot more pellets on the bird. That's devastating. I know it took a long time for people to adjust their thinking to small shot sizes yeah like it, that. it's kind of counterintuitive and you know in a way you think well, well how can i you know and laws were in place that we actually had to lobby and, and show the technology of why this is, is a better solution because if you are using lead and you're going to a seven shot and eight shot you are giving up a lot of energy but it's that increased density that really puts you over the top thank you well and with with you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel uh for for covid and and everybody having to to lock down but with the nation still in the world still dealing with this you know we expect that they're going to be a lot of people continuing to get outside and recreate that's been the positive 
uh, people are enjoying our natural resources. Um, so we, we think another season of increased sales on turkey licenses is probable, and that's a great thing for all of us um, and for habitat. There will be more hunters in the woods, though, um, which means safety is is really important. So, I don't, Dan, do you have any advice for people who are looking to get out for the first time and and wondering about how to do it and how to be safe? Yeah, a big a big thing, and and all turkey, all hunters should any whenever you're using a shotgun, but you should pattern your shotgun so you know you know your lethal range is going to be at this point, and then always be aware of your surroundings. And you may be on a field, but you really got to be astute as a turkey hunter. You may be calling. And then you may be hearing other hen calls further away, which is your primary turkey call. Try to make sure that that's an actual turkey and not another hunter and you're not coming at each other. There is a turkey gobble calls on the market that can be used in certain situations, but it can also, if you're gobbling at turkeys, you may be directing other hunters to come your way. So pattern your shotgun, know your surroundings, especially on you know public land coming up because there is a lot more turkey hunters out there. Don't take the sound shots. Don't shoot through brush. Make sure you got a really clear shot. And make really sure, like, as you're sitting there waiting for the birds to come in, analyze that field so you know what the backdrop is going to be behind them. Because part of your turkey is going to absorb some of your shot, but those pellets are going to carry on and go and go back behind it. So make sure you're clear of houses. Make sure you know, like, you know, if you're in a farm situation, agriculture. So it's, it's kind of the basic fundamentals of shooting. You know, know your target and beyond and know, know what your equipment can perform and how it's going to do it. That's great. Yeah, and I've, I've got three young kids and two of them I've put through Hunter's Education and I sat through it with them. And uh, even though it seems very redundant, there's really important information in there. So if you're getting started, make sure you pay attention to those videos and look at the resources on your state's website, uh, DNR website. It's really helpful. So Dan, how about anything new coming? Yeah, we offered, a, we have a couple new loads coming out this year. Main catalog, we have a seven and nine combo shot turkey load, 12 gauge, three inch. Um, we'd offered a 20 gauge and a three and a half inch, um, really heavy load. And we wanted to kind of round out our lineup with that. And a couple of real exciting offerings is in our custom shop. And we, we load a lot of TSS out of our custom shop, smaller runs, you know, literally hand loaded. And we're using that as kind of a vetting ground to say, we, we might not have full retail appeal. We might not need to make an, enough to ship across country, but there is people looking for it. So we have a 20 gauge, ounce and three quarter, number nine shot coming out of the custom shop. And that is 634 pellets in a 20 gauge. So you're getting more, you're getting 12 gauge full on performance out of your 20. It's going to choke really tight. And then we have a, a full two ounce number nine shot in a 12 gauge as well. That's great. Thanks, Dan. Up next, our news and notes section of the It's Federal Season podcast. We'll share what's making headlines at Federal, including hot promotions on Federal gear and products. There's a time and a place for every season. This is that time, and these are those special places. When preparation gives way to anticipation, rituals, and traditions. <laughs> Friends, family, forever. This is what you live for. It's time to celebrate the annual tradition like no other. It's federal season. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the news and notes segment. The federal website is a great resource for up-to-date promotions. So go to federalpremium.com promotions 
for all the details on this and all current rebates and promotions from Federal Ammunition. One of the great promotions running right now is our Save and Strut rebate offering. Buy any Federal Premium Turkey Shot Shell Ammunition to get up to a $20 rebate. Choose to keep the rebate or donate it to the Wild Turkey Federation, the NWTF. If you donate that rebate as a thank you bonus, earn a free Onyx Hunt one month premium membership redemption code when you elect to donate a minimum of $6 or more. The promotion opened up on February 1st and runs through May 31st of 2021. Some exclusions apply. Our next podcast is set for release in May. If you like the It's Federal Season podcast, be sure to let us know by filling out a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, for us, it's always in season. It's Federal Season.